0: Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. All right, the Lord bless you as you return to your seat. Um, you may be seated. We are excited about all that the Lord's going to do today. In case you didn't get the word, we have a special guest for our uh, speaking slot in the two o'clock service, Brother Ethan Hagan is in town. Met with him last night. And uh, I said, brother, our church is ready for revival. He said, yes, sir. So we're looking forward to that. Today, though, in our adult Bible class, I want to bring to you uh, what I think is an interesting subject. And I'm going to try to put a, a different slant on it and make it not too boring at least where it will hold some of your attention for a little while we're going to talk about uh, change everybody loves to change don't they i was saying that with a bit of sarcasm Brother, could we uh, have a little bit more monitor for the pulpit bike, please, sir? Brother Isaac does such a great job. We talk about Brother Terry and the fantastic job he does week in and week out. But Brother Isaac is a great assistant to Brother Terry, is he not? Let's give Brother Isaac Finley a hand. (laughs) Amen. All right. Brother Terry's going to get me started. All right, let's read from 1 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 31. It says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened or disciplined by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. A wealth of information and importance in these two verses, just chock full of stuff That's important to our lives first of all verse 31 Paul says we need to judge ourselves we need to look at ourselves and review what's going on particularly not uh, our outer appearance but most importantly what's going on inside in our heart in our mind in our spirit he he says uh, if we judge ourselves then we don't have to Let God do it. Uh, It's kind of like when you were in school. How many remember those days? They make you go so long, there's bound to be something that you remember the rest of your life, remember about school. I remember the first and only Time I was disciplined in school. It was second grade. The rest of the class had gone to the restroom. Now you folks are really privileged today because I don't, I don't tell this story often, especially in public, and online where the whole world can see it. The only time I ever got licks in school, my entire educational career. Does everybody know what licks means? Doesn't mean lick with your tongue. It means paddling. I got two licks. The only time that ever happened was in second grade. The rest of the class had gone to the restroom. I don't know why I decided to stay in the room. I don't know why the teacher gave us the uh, choice of staying in the room if we didn't need to use the restroom. But she had to go with the rest of the class, 30-something second graders. And there were left in the class me and two girls. Can you get an idea of where this might be going? Talking about discipline right now. Um, I don't know why the the crazy idea lodged itself in my brain, but uh, one of those two girls lived two doors down from me. We knew each other quite well. We were good friends. I was good friends with her brother. We played in the neighborhood together together games outdoors I don't know if kids still do a lot of that now but we did back then and for some reason I got it in my mind while the rest of the class was at the restroom that I wanted to kiss my neighbor yeah what an opening illustration huh you uh you believe it because it happened it happened the, the other girl that was in the class got to tell the story to the teacher when she returned with the other class members about how Steve was chasing the little eight-year-old blonde neighbor girl around the desk, and she was frantically trying to get away from him because he had already declared his intentions. He wanted a kiss. God help us. I don't think I succeeded, but I did succeed in being disciplined. The teacher went, got uh, uh, the teacher from the classroom next door, took me out in the hall and gave me two licks with a paddle, and that was that. That is very, uh, was and still is, that's very uncharacteristic for me, wouldn't you say? Now, you can raise your hand. How many were surprised at that? story who didn't know that she already knew that so we're good if we would judge ourselves that is correct ourselves then God wouldn't have to like in school when the other person when the authority over you has to correct you or discipline you it's always going to be worse for you than if you did it yourself then if you corrected the situation corrected your behavior or whatever yourself. Uh, And and that's what Paul is saying here. If we would do it first, then God wouldn't have to do it, verse 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened or disciplined by the Lord, and and for very good reason, so that we can be saved, so that we won't be lost. God has to somehow discipline us. I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Uh, So today I'm going to bring to you this thought, grace to judge our presets. You see the picture there is of a car stereo uh, or CD player in some kind of vehicle where, uh, as in all modern vehicles and for decades, you have uh, had this available to you when you purchase a vehicle of presetting the stations that you would like to listen to on your radio. How many have ever done that? You've set a a particular channel or station, maybe it was a satellite radio or just AM or FM. Uh, We have that technology and have for several years to have a preset or several presets. And did you know that we have that same principle at work in our lives? as we live our lives. Uh, let me just go off on a tangent here, a sidebar, and talk about judging again. Jesus said, Matthew 7, judge not, same thing Paul said, so that you won't be judged. And then he talks about uh, this, this judging That is a different kind of judging than what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul talked about judging ourselves, correcting ourselves. But here Jesus says, don't judge other people. Totally different situation. Because if you judge other people, then you're going to be judged. It's a principle that God set up. Verse 2, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use... It will be measured back to you. The Amplified says it this way. Do not judge and criticize and condemn others so that you may not be judged and criticized and condemn yourselves. For just as you judge and criticize and condemn others, you will be judged and criticized and condemned. And in accordance with the measure you use to deal out judgment to others, that same measure of judgment will be dealt against you okay so we need to judge ourselves everybody say judge myself not others so what is a preset well a good definition of preset means to set in advance to set a value that controls the operation of a device in advance of its use and in this lesson the device is us we all have our own presets. Uh, we use these presets in our car stereos, uh, microwave ovens, satellite radios, and they, they're good. they save us time. and uh, hopefully we try to put our presets on settings that uh, are good for us, that will benefit us, that will help us usually it save time. But did you know that we can unconsciously? in our mind have mental presets and we can also have spiritual presets and sometimes those presets are bad especially spiritual ones they can be negative they can shut out God's power from our lives and and cause uh, us to miss out on divine things that God wants to do for us because of pre- conceived notions. That is, when our mind is already made up, going into a situation or circumstance, and if we're not willing to change our mind, there is the possibility for us suffering because of that. Everything from just missing out on blessings God wants to give us to detrimental uh, effects of our bad choices, even to the point of uh, losing our soul. And we don't want to do that, right? So what we need to do is what Paul told us to do here in Romans 12. Sorry for the small font size. But he says in Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's really, he says, this is important, guys, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable Unto God, and He says, This is just your reasonable service, it's to be expected of us. Verse 2 and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed or changed where you need to be by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Presets, preconceived notions in our mind, sometimes. They're not good. Sometimes we need to change them. Let's look in the Bible at somebody that was like that. The apostle Peter had some presets. According uh, to the Bible in Acts chapter 10, Peter had some presets that affected in his mind who he ought to preach to and try to win to the Lord. Let's look at what it says in Acts chapter 10. We'll pick up with verse 10. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. Peter was up on the rooftop fasting and praying. While they made ready, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet, a bed sheet bound at the four corners. In other words, it was, uh, the four corners were tied up together. Something was in the sheet. It was descending down to him, let down to the earth, verse 12. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. He told God no. But he thought he had a good reason for telling God no. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Here's what's going on. According to the Old Testament law, the Jews were commanded by God not to eat certain animals, not to eat certain fish, not to eat certain creatures, because they were what, God told Moses, when he gave him the law, unclean. Now, what did unclean mean? It didn't mean they were dirty, that they couldn't be washed off. It simply meant that those animals were in a a category created by God. In God's mind, that uh, because of different circumstances about those animals, God didn't want his people eating that stuff. Uh, For example, one of them, uh, one of the animals that was in that category of unclean was pork. Cute little piggy or hog. God didn't want his people eating uh, pork. And there's been debate about why God did this and why he put certain animals and foods in the unclean category and placed them off limits to his people. Uh, I've read store uh, research findings and so forth that uh, medical science has proven that there are distinct uh, things about eating pork that are not good for your body. Now, we know that in the New Testament, the Lord did away with those diet restrictions for his people. Paul said, the Apostle Paul said that we can eat anything as long as we bless it and give God credit and thanks for it. But that doesn't take away from the detrimental or negative effects that a particular food that was in God's unclean category might have on us. Now, I'm not telling you to eat pork or not eat pork. I enjoy it. I had a barbecue sandwich this week. Uh, That's up to you. But uh, Peter had this preset in his mind because God had said, don't eat these particular animals. And here God is giving Peter a vision. Peter was hungry, he'd been fasting. And God gives him a vision uh, where there are animals come down in a bed sheet that uh, God says to Peter, take out your knife, your sword, kill one of those animals and eat. You're hungry. And Peter said, no, I'm not going to do it because I'm a good Jewish uh, follower. I've obeyed the law From my youth up, and God, you said, you told Moses we shouldn't do this, so I'm not going to do it. God was trying to teach him a lesson about his preset. Verse 16, this was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. While Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from the uh, house of a man named Cornelius, this was a Roman soldier, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision and the spirit spirit said that, excuse me, God said, behold, three men are seeking you. They're looking for you downstairs, Peter. Arise, therefore, go downstairs and then go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Cornelius was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. Here you have in Acts chapter 10 the introduction of the gospel, how to be saved for the very first time after the New Testament church began to a Gentile, to somebody who was not a Hebrew or a Jew. And like many, many Jews, Peter, as a Jew, was very prejudiced. You talk about prejudice, prejudice uh, uh, between races or skin color or nationalities or ethnic groups. There was no uh, uh, prejudice shown from one group against another group any worse. There wasn't one and isn't one worse in the earth than the prejudice that the Jews had towards anybody it wasn't a Jew. They wouldn't even eat with them. And I could go on and on to prove how prejudiced the Jews were for thousands of years. Uh, when God told them to separate themselves from the heathen nations round about them, when he brought them out of Egypt and into the promised land, he told them that because he didn't want them to succumb to worshiping the false idols and false gods that the heathen nations around Israel worship. But they took it too far. They, they took it into like has been done, of course, uh, in our world for centuries, including in modern times. The thing of prejudice uh, is a horrible thing, and God hates it. God hates uh, any kind of prejudice. Somebody say Amen. And Peter was prejudiced against all non-Jews to the fact that not only would he not eat with them, but he wouldn't, uh, wouldn't do anything with them. But here God was wanting to use Peter to take the gospel to the first Gentile, a man by the name of Cornelius, but God knew that Peter was so prejudiced that he was going to have to chip away at Peter's bias and get Peter to the point where he would go preach To a Gentile. And so, that's why God gave him the vision. He said, what I call clean, I don't care what the Old Testament law said, Peter. What I call clean, I'm God. I wrote that law. I can change it. So, what I call clean, don't you call unclean. God was getting Peter's preset kicked out of his mind So that he could comply with the will of God. And that Gentiles could be preached to and be saved. Then Peter opened his mouth. This is several verses later. After God had poured out the Holy Ghost on Cornelius. And about 50 something people all of his household. Peter was still amazed. He still had this preset. uh, God chipping away at it trying to change. Stuck in his, his mind he said in truth. I perceive that God shows no partiality or bias or prejudice. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Uh, Where would you and I be today if Peter hadn't uh, said yes to God and changed his preset? Well, I guess God would have gotten somebody else if Peter hadn't complied and preached to the Gentiles. But Peter had a preset, didn't he? A real tough one. You know, people are like tacks or nails. Think about the head on a nail. When you hammer a nail into a board or something, that nail can go no further than their head lets them, right? We're the same way. Sometimes uh, we need a, a mental hammer to knock the head or the preset out of our mind or out of our heart. It was Paul Harvey. Anybody ever heard of Paul Harvey? Who said, quote, I've never seen a monument erected to a pessimist. That's true. So now let's get to uh, another Bible illustration. Uh, a man who had a preset. And understand some more about this concept. A man by the name of Nathaniel. This was during Jesus' ministry. Let's read it. Verse 43 of John. Chapter One. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip, who was already follow- well was about to follow him. He said to him, "Follow me." and Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, "We have found him of whom Moses, in the law, and also the prophets wrote. This is the Messiah, Nathaniel. Jesus of Nazareth is his name. He's the son of the carpenter." Joseph. Now, this picture is a picture of Nathanael sitting under. Can we have a Bible scholar tell me what kind of tree it was? Was it a sycamore? I think you're right. We'll find out. He was sitting under the tree. Nathanael said to Philip, when Philip came and said, we found the Messiah, Philip said, uh, or Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was showing a preset. Philip said to him, well, come and see. And then it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. The King James says guile. There's no guile in this man. Now, uh, Nathanael gave us a hint and Jesus, of course, Jesus was God, so he already knew his thoughts, that he had some presets going on in his mind, some some uh, conclusions he had already come to, some beliefs or opinions that were pretty strong. He was pretty set in his ways regarding these preset thoughts. And this was, he was prejudiced against people who came from the little town of Nazareth. And he lets us know he was prejudiced when he said, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? You'll see it's in verse 46 in bold print. Uh, and Philip said, Come and see. Nathaniel had a negative preset. Now, what were some of the reasons, perhaps, possible reasons for Nathaniel's preset, prejudice against Nazareth? People from the city of Nazareth. First of all, it was a small town. Uh, did y'all know that small towns, uh, some people, who, particularly who live in big cities, look down on us who live in small towns? You know that. Uh, that is possible. That could be a reason why uh, Nathaniel was prejudiced against people from Nazareth. Uh, it was in Galilee the, the region of the country of Israel called Galilee. And again, Galileans, people from Galilee, were considered to be uh, crude and low-class people. Uh, you pick any town, uh, and it's going to have sections in that town that when you say the name of that town, that neighborhood, people are, some people are going to think, oh, that's a bad part of town. This is what uh, was thought of about Nazareth and Galilee. And Nathanael was no different. So verse 47 said, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Now, Nathanael had some bad presets, some wrong presets. But notice here that Jesus still called him a good person. Gives hope to me because it lets me know that I can have presets that need to be changed, that are wrong, that I need to work on. But nonetheless, I can still be a good person with those presets. Gives me hope. How about you? Guile, in the King James, this word guile is used, means uh, it comes from a, a Greek word that means baiting for fish. Uh, You use bait to do what to a hungry fish? You basically deceive it, right? You trick it into taking false food. Uh, That's what fishing is all about, isn't it? Tricking or deceiving the fish. They're hungry. They want something to eat. Uh, So you use bait to take a hungry fish and deceive it and trick it into Coming into your world, the word guile means wily and deceitful, cunning, sneakiness, slyness, underhandedness, duplicity. Why was Jesus so positive about Nathaniel, even though Nathanael's preset was so negative? I'm gonna tell you why, and this is so important. This is the, this is the, the the key to this whole lesson. If you don't get anything else, get this: Jesus had hope for Nathanael, and he still complimented Nathanael in spite of Nathanael's bad preset, uh, again, of prejudice against certain people, people from the city of Nazareth. Jesus was so positive about Nathanael's situation because Nathanael had the humility and the presence of mind to quickly judge himself and change his negative preset. So important. So important. James, in the New Testament, the writer there, said, don't be like a man, a person who sees himself in a mirror and sees something that needs to be changed and turn around and walk away and don't do anything about it. And of course, the concept here is He's talking about spiritual application. When we see something about ourselves, when we judge ourselves, and we see something that needs to be changed, God shows it to us. He turns a light bulb on in our spirit or in our mind, and we we see, oh, that's not right of me to think that way or to act that way or to have that that preset notion or opinion or whatever it may be i need to change that about myself that's what nathaniel did nathaniel answered and said unto him uh how do you know me jesus answered and said to him before philip called you when you were under the fig tree i thought it was a fig tree i'm sorry sister but I didn't want to correct you. Uh, before Philip called you, when you were sitting under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Is that what makes you believe in me? He said, listen, friend, you're going to see greater things than these than my ability to read your mind or to see you before I had ever met you and what you were doing under the fig tree. Verse 51, he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter or from now on, you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Or in other words, you're going to see great things happen. Praise God. Greater things than just this little tidbit that I showed you of my power and my supernatural ability and the fact that I'm really God. So, judging our preset, the title of the lesson today is grace. God, give me the grace to judge my preset and to change myself. Everybody said, grant it, Jesus. Now, let's go. Let's go back to our key verse that we read at the beginning. We're going to read it this time in the Amplified, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31. If we searchingly examine ourselves, detecting our shortcomings and recognizing our own condition, we would not be judged and penalty would not be decreed by the divine judgment of God. But when we fall short and are judged by the Lord, in other words, when we don't do it, So God has to step in and do it. Why? Because God cares about what's going to be in his heaven for all of eternity. When God does it, then we're disciplined and chastened so that we may not finally be condemned to eternal punishment along with the world. God disciplines us because he loves us and he wants us to go to heaven. And some of us are not going to go to heaven the way we are. So God looks at us and says, I love them so much that I came to Calvary. I came to the earth and died on a cross at Calvary's hill. I let those Roman soldiers put those nails in my hands and feet and crucify me when I had done nothing wrong, when I was the only sinless man who ever lived, only human being who walked this planet who never committed a single sin. And I loved them so much that I did that. How can I not? come into their life and help them change this preset so that they can go to heaven for all of eternity with me. That's what God says when he looks at us and sees a preset that would keep us out of heaven. He says, I'm going to change them. I'm going to give them the opportunity. Now, God will not force us to change. We have to be willing to do it and accept it and make that decision ourselves because God gave us a power of choice, the power to choose whether we want to have a relationship with him or not that's going to last for all of eternity and uh, wind us up in heaven and who knows where else great things are in store if we choose to do that. But we can't go there if some of our presets would keep us out of heaven and out of a relationship with God. Let's read further about this concept of God correcting us and changing our preset. Hebrews chapter 12, this is the amplified version. The writer says, have you completely forgotten the divine word of appeal and encouragement in which you are reasoned with and addressed as sons? He's talking about an Old Testament scripture. He said, have you forgotten it? My son, do not think lightly or scorn to submit to the correction and discipline of the Lord. And don't lose courage and give up and faint when you are reproved or corrected by him. Don't get mad when God spanks you. How many ever got a spanking when you were growing up? Sure, we all did. Most of us. If you didn't, you probably needed it at some point or time. I'm not saying that to be ugly. It's just we're all born in sin, shaping iniquity. There's none righteous, no, not one. We are all born as a sinner. And we all need to change from that sinful condition. But I remember getting spankings, and I hated it. I hated being disciplined by my dad when it involved a belt. Anybody here loved that? Anybody here particularly liked that? Probably not. If you, if you liked it, meet with me after church. I want to have a... Counseling session with you because you need it. If you like correction, if you like rebuke, if you like being reproved or somebody correcting you, it grates against something inside of us. I'm telling you. I've walked with the Lord for many years, and I'd like to think that I, I do a fairly good job of walking in the Spirit most of the time, but I still hate being corrected. Uh, I think it's worse for men. Well, no lady said amen, but maybe you're not sure where I'm going. Uh, I hate to be told I'm wrong. Okay, well, we'll go somewhere else. I hate to be told I'm wrong by a woman. And if you're a man, you're the same way. Amen. Thank you, Brother Brad, for being truthful. We don't like being corrected. There's something in our flesh nature that just resists that, repels against that. That's why a lot of people aren't saved because they can't get past that initial God letting them know, hey, buddy, you're a sinner and you've got to change some things if you want to be right with me and go to heaven. Many people will be lost because they can't get past that initial admitting that they're wrong in the eyes of God. So, but, but verse 6 says, uh, no, let's go back to my son, do not think lightly or scorn to submit to the correction and discipline of the Lord. Don't lose courage and give up and faint when you're reproved or corrected by him. Verse 6, because the Lord corrects and disciplines everyone whom he loves He's quoting from the Old Testament now. I believe it's Isaiah. And he punishes, even scourges or whips every son whom he accepts and welcomes to his heart and cherishes. And you must submit to and endure that correction for discipline because God is dealing with you as a son. For what son is it? There is no son uh, that the father does not train and correct and discipline. Now watch this last verse. Now, if you are exempt from correction and left without discipline in which all of God's children share, then what does that mean? That means you're not a child of God. What does it say? If you are exempt from correction, if God doesn't correct you, then you are illegitimate offspring and not a true son at all. The King James uses the horrible word bastard. That's how strong God puts it in his word. If you won't accept correction from him. Wow. Strong stuff, isn't it? But God does it because he loves us. Our prayer is. Ought to be, God, give me the grace to judge my preset and get rid of it with your help. Uh, Paul goes on to say, moreover, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we yielded to them and respected them. Shall we not much more cheerfully submit to the Father of spirits and truly live? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for only a short period of time and chastised us as seemed proper and good to them. But God disciplines us for our certain good, that we may become sharers in his own holiness. For the time being, no discipline brings joy, But it seems grievous and painful, but afterwards it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In other words, a harvest of fruit which consists in righteousness, in conformity to God's will and purpose, thought, and action, resulting in right living and right standing with God. What are some of our possible uh, presets? Well, how about pride? I put that at the top of the list on person. Uh, On purpose. Pride is very difficult to get rid of. It's very difficult to change. Uh, Out of pride comes self-righteousness, arrogance, haughtiness, inflated ego. Let me tell you something. A person who has a problem with pride is in extreme spiritual danger. I'm going to tell you in my experience in almost 30 years pastoring 10 or 12 years before that in ministry, uh, my observation is that it is very, very rare that someone is delivered from pride. Usually doesn't happen. Usually it's what brings a person down spiritually and keeps them down, makes them end up being lost for eternity. Why? Because pride is deceitful. If there is pride in your heart, it's so easy for the devil to deceive you into believing a lie, into believing that you're right when you're really wrong. It's as simple as that. And I could go on and on with that and talk about that and teach on that, uh, but I don't have time. We need to make sure that pride doesn't get anywhere close to us. And when it does, we need to. Beg, I'm repeating myself, beg God to deliver us from pride. There are other things that are presets that keep us from uh, being what we need to be in God, receiving the blessings of God. Doubt, fear slash worry slash anxiety, anger, bitterness. Here's another hard one to escape having a grudge against somebody. All of these things are presets that can damn our soul to hell. We need to let God deal with it. How do we do that? By praying for grace. What is the definition of grace? It's God's working in our lives. Let's read uh, this verse of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you, everybody say in me, to do two things. Number one, to will, and number two, to do of his good pleasure. Another way of saying that in modern English is grace is the desire or the will and the power to do the will of God. Very simple. It's as simple as that. It is God giving you grace. Now, years ago, somebody, the, the Bible uh, scholar world came up with a classic definition for the word grace. It's this, uh, the unmerited favor of God, the undeserved goodness of God. And that's a good definition, but in my mind, it doesn't go far enough. This one goes even further and makes it clear. Everything good in your life in your family, in your world, whatever it is, physical, spiritual, emotional, everything good that happens to you and everything good that you do or say or think, everything good in your existence is because of God and God alone, His mercy. I don't know how it works. I can't explain it to you. You've got two uh, opposite ends of the spectrum, uh, two uh, weights on a balanced scale. On one hand, you've got the grace of God, the goodness of God. It's Him that gives you a desire for Him. You wouldn't desire for him to come to church. You wouldn't desire to know Him without Him giving you that desire. Yet on the other hand, the far end of that, opposite end of that spectrum, the other side of that balance is that God will not force you to take him on. God will not force you to do anything regarding him. He will make circumstances happen to motivate you to try to get you to make the right choices and the right decisions. But the bottom line is you and you alone have the power to say yes or no to God. Now, I want to do the will of God in my life. I want To uh, do it God's way in everything. Let's stand together. And part of that, and this is so important, means being quick to say yes and acknowledge when God shows me a preset, something about me I need to change. Being quick to say, God, help me change that. You change it or whatever I've got to do about it for you to fix it, cause me to know what it is and to do it. How many want the will of God in your life? How many want to change where God wants you to change? Why? Because how many want the blessings of God that will come from doing that? Let's lift our hands and ask God to help us do that. God, we know that all good things come from your hand. We love you today. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you for the blood. thank Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you and have a blessed day.